0: Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hi, everybody, and welcome to a whole Foundation and Learning Center group today. And running a hardware store blind, I'm really excited about this. I um, really enjoy listening to Deb Marino's present and I'm very anxious to hear what she's has to tell us today and I'll just go through a few announcements then turn it over to her. Just a few reminders please keep yourself muted unless you have are have are asking a question and you can raise your hand to do so and at the time we'll have when it's time for questions we'll have Teresa Christian go ahead and remind people on how to do that So the whole Foundation and Learning Center is celebrating their 60th year this year. It is a park outside of Portland, Oregon, and they have, in addition to weekly Zoom workshops, they also do some peer-to-peer support, and they do some in-person events as well. So at the end of this session, I will give people information to get on their email list and to contact them and find out more about some of their upcoming in-person events. They sound pretty exciting. So make sure you get your note-taking devices ready. And right now, it's my pleasure to introduce Deb Marinos.
1: Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here with you guys. And it's probably the first time I've really shared this story a whole bunch. I'm going to go ahead and share screen for me and for you, if you can see it. I. Um, so how do you keep track of hundreds of items and run a business is what I decided to call it. I'm Deb Marinos. I'm a a certified rehabilitation counselor and a licensed professional counselor here in Oregon. And I also do a bunch of teaching. I have Shane down here at my feet. He is my guide dog. He's a poodle from Guide Dogs of the Desert. I have retinitis pigmentosa, and I I am a hearing aid user. So together we call that Usher 2A. But what that means is is that long time ago, 30 years ago almost now, I was diagnosed with a narrowing vision. And so the story that I'm going to tell you and the thing is from a time where I had some vision and I could see, I could read if I could find the darn thing. So finding things in the hardware store, even before I was diagnosed. So I started, you know, Comp- not knowing I had anything going on except the hearing loss and being a busy person, taking care of my kids and my mom and dad, but I was also operating a hardware store. And then halfway through my twenty years of doing that, I discovered I had the vision and had to stop driving and do all that stuff. And so that changed. I had to do some major changing to keep the business going. And of course, the real question, I was, you know, I'm currently in business in a different business. I've actually had two businesses since then. And I'm like, well, why did I, as I was reviewing this, I was like, man, that was hard work. And there was a lot of times you didn't know what you were going to do. And, you know, why did I do it? And I went, well, because I had kids and I, my husband actually worked for me. And so I needed to feed the family. I needed to be doing what I was supposed to be doing, and so I just kept, I, you know, there were many times I gave up. So if you have that feeling that sometimes something's too hard, guess what? That's just a red flag to you that says, okay, time to rework it. And you all know this no matter what part of the journey you're in as far as vision loss goes. So what does it mean to have good inventory? So that's my disclaimer. I don't have all the answers, and it certainly wasn't fun all the time. I found this on the internet yesterday because I thought, you know, I should look and see what the current inventory practices were. At the time when I started, calculators were a new thing. And, you know, the whole idea of point of service tagging and way tag and even the pen friend wasn't around yet. So we had to use some pretty archaic, what would be considered archaic. However, they're pretty low tech and they still get used a lot in the blindness community. So they have a definition that I thought really works well. It's very uh, non, all right, so here's the deal. The practice identifies, the inventory practice identifies and responds to trends to ensure there's always enough stock to fill customer orders and proper warning of a shortage. So that's a great thing. That's a computer program that's going to figure out what people are going to buy and then make sure they reorder and have it. But here's the rub. If you don't drive, does that change everything? Yes and no. And then remember, the customer is always right. Your limitations don't matter. They want their stuff. And so that's the framework that we're going to talk about my stories of how I did what I did. So my objectives for today, because it's never... Fun to be in a class and not know what the teacher's app, you know, what? what's my point? So my point is to open your mind to new possibilities or validate the fact that you're already pretty doing all that stuff. Share what I have learned over many years of successful business ownership and then introduce skills that will transfer to home and other environments. And in fact, when I was doing a lot of my training, um, I would go to the, you know, the local Oregon Commission for the Blind, and they did a great job, and I'm like, you know, I'm using these power tools, and it's getting kind of scary, and I'm having some accidents. You know, they didn't have a class for electricians. I'm sorry. That wasn't the deal. They didn't have any other electricians. So I'd go to cabinet class and make a table, and everybody'd say, oh, isn't that so much fun? I'm like, no, that was not fun. I do not like wood. I'm allergic to wood, and this was not fun. I do not ever want to be spending all this time sanding and doing stuff, but what I was doing is learning how to use power tools safely because... The person that was teaching me was totally blind. I thought, well, heck, if he can make a cab, then I can figure out how to run my tools. So, and it worked. I went back, you know, I was having that scary sense that it's not working. I need to fix something, go out, learn from some people and go, oh, okay, okay, I got this. So then I could go back and safely do my work and not feel like I'm freaking myself clear out. So I will give you my history. I started after school in sixth grade in the hardware store. So I started really young. I got bored. We were all required to, um, you know, mind the store. It was called. But I didn't want to just sit there and read a book or wait for somebody to come in. And so I kept bugging Dad to teach me how to buy things and how to save material and what everything was and, you know. He would show me but then he would say you know the electrical field is no place for a girl and he um in seventh grade he fell off a pole and broke lots of bones in his body and was in a wheelchair for a while so he needed a helper so he decided that you know I could come along, I could take his wheelchair in and out of the car, and then I could do the climbing, and I could get up on the ladder, and he would point, and he would tell me what to do, and I could pull ropes and wires and do all the heavy work, because that was really kind of fun. So I love being outdoors. I love talking to customers. I love designing house wiring that met their needs. And after high school, I went on to college for engineering, and then decided I wanted to get married, and... Somebody had to go to work. My husband was still in school. So I thought, heck, I'm going to go be an electrician. I finally got in the apprenticeship program in the 70s. Uh, That was a first, and it wasn't easy. And then got married, had my first child, and suddenly dad had a stroke. So I loved doing electrical work, but it was, you know, I would wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be different things and music teacher, actually. So I had... Figured that I did this for a while, and then I was going to be a mom, and then I was going to do that. Meanwhile, the hardware store is always open, so we have to keep crash. So after dad had a stroke suddenly, I had a crash course in managing all the aspects of the business, including accounting, materials, employees, hiring, training, and making that difficult decision to part ways. And I inherited an old-fashioned business and a bunch of journeyman electricians who did not want a female boss. And this was in the very early 80s. I still had a little one to take care of. And I had contract to complete. And suddenly my husband was my apprentice. Because after he got out of college, he decided that he liked my job better. So just remember that it's amazing what you can do when you have to. For various reasons, I kept the business going. I said temporarily, which ended up... 19 more years, and nine of those not driving due to my diagnosis of RP. Yet I had some preparation for not driving. I just wanted to add this little piece is that with my third child, if you can think about doing all this crazy stuff before the vision diagnosis, um, I was forced to go to bed for three months um, because of complications of the pregnancy. So I had a little bit of, I mean, I look back, You know, that was a really long, difficult time, but it was also really good practice. Everybody has this last minute. And when you look at inventory practices, they have this called just-in-time thing. Well, just-in-time is completely, we all know this, if you're making something in the kitchen and you don't have eggs, that's a just-in-time problem, right? Because you're not going to just jump in your car and go get them. And that's what I learned while I was stuck in bed. If I was going to have an audit, I had to have the audit in bed. How the heck do you do that? you know, how you carry your files, what to do, how you organize where, you know, everything suddenly had to be precise. And then there could be no last minute. Oh no, I need this. There had to be backups. There had to be a way to get things. I became a queen of delivery options. And this is long before Amazon or anything like that. And, um, I also had to learn to guide my employees and my customers to their products because I knew where it was in the hardware store. Maybe nobody else did. There were thousands of items in there. But, you know, it's over on the such-and-such such corner. No, I don't see it. Oh, well, you know, maybe it's over here. No, I don't see it. Um. So when I got out of bed, I tell you what, that place got straightened up and turned around. The shelves got labeled. Um. We actually had pipes. I took PVC pipes and I painted them. Well, actually, I had an employee paint them um, white, red, and blue because they were the three primary colors. So that meant everything. um, So all around the room, there were sections. So the pipe divided the sections of every shelf. So the interior wall, the exterior wall, the door wall, the back wall, everybody knew what that meant. And then things were on pegboards. So if they, had, if they were tiny, they might be in a little plastic bag and they had a hook. And behind on the hook, it said what was there. So if the hook was empty, you knew what was there. So people couldn't say that it disappeared because it couldn't disappear. Everything had a place. And of course, for those of us that have been trained in blindness skills, we get the idea that around all of that because that's the same thing they tell us to do. I built a spreadsheet um, also while I was in bed to track costs on a little old Apple 2C without a hard drive, to track costs and productivity. So I knew what was being sold and what wasn't. Somebody told me it was gone. I'd say, well, that's interesting because I could go in and pick up how many I had bought and how many were supposed to be still in stock based on my sales. Of course, I had to do it by hand. Nowadays, you can do it with a fancy computer and a barcode scanner or your iPhone or whatever. But um, I also was able to make decisions based on my bottom line. So I built a spreadsheet that showed the price of gas and somebody says, hey, I wanna go do this job and it's 30 miles away. I could put in there how much it was gonna cost my trucks to be driving back and forth over a period of time, which helped me with estimating and it helped me with deciding what to stock, what not to stock. Um, It was really interesting being able to look at the bottom line so I could forecast it out to the end of the year with all the cost and all the payroll and everything all figured out. So then I could say, well, you know, that's a great idea. Thanks for the idea, but that's not gonna work for me because if I didn't make money, all the efforts and all the adapting and all the so-called right ways to do things, that doesn't matter. And it's about the same thing as if you're in a job and you're absolutely miserable, Um, it's really important to give yourself permission to change something and see if you can't somehow make that job better or do something different. So I learned the difference between what folks want urgently and the really important stuff. And let me just say that again, there's always urgency. People got, you know, whether it's your kids or whatever. And as moms, for sure, we learn very quickly the difference between a kid's cry, a certain cry means they are really in trouble and there is a problem and right now matters. And then there's the things that they're convinced if they don't get another cookie before dinner that their world is going to be over and we know the difference. But do we know that sometimes in business? Because customers can be really, really persistent. And I I don't think I'll have time, but there were some crazy moments where I just went, better be kidding me. You do it, you know, that is just totally not what's going to happen here. So I learned what to allow and what to say no to. And that something, my dad always said, some things don't eat a loaf of bread. That The thing about that is, is, in today's market, they have things in inventory. And one of the damaging things that people do in a business sometimes and it's really interesting it depends on the business if they decide that it costs them money to have the things sitting on the shelf because there's only so much space and the theory is that if you have the right items to sell you'll make more money so that only works I don't know I guess it works for somebody because somebody came up with a theory and I do want to mention that I went ahead and um Got my degree in management and organization leadership after I sold my company. And I sat there many a night in class going, Damn, that would have been good to know before I was in business. Oh, geez, that would have been really good to know from my hardware store and my inventory control um, to learn that there was many different ways to do it. But something does need a loaf of bread. So if it's not going to rot and nobody's, you know, a mouse isn't going to come munch it or eat it, it's not a piece of cheese, it can sit there on the shelf until somebody needs it. In my case, it was a rural store. There were no box stores, there was no Home Depot, there was no large department stores. There was nobody, if somebody, and let's just face it, there was no point in a sale in my hardware store. You know, maybe light bulbs. That was about the only thing that would bring customers in. I mean, how many of you are gonna go, I need a grounds screw for this box. I think I'll go buy them because they're on sale. No, they're not going to. Or I need the switch that's going to blow up on my dishwasher or something. No, you're not going to do that. And all the parts and pieces that, you know, if you're wiring your barn or you're building something or you're creating something, that would be different. But all the parts and pieces I had was definitely demand driven by need. And so it was important for me to realize that it took me quite a little while um, to figure that out. And then the need to charge enough. And that was something that I didn't do super well with. It was always the customer um, pressure that you were more expensive than so-and-so down the street. Say there was a, a blank cover for a box. I remember this person coming in and freaking out because... My cover was 75 cents and he could buy it for 50 cents down the block. So I was ripping them off. And there's this common consensus that if you make money when you're in business, you must be ripping somebody off. However, if that same person, if you ask them, well, are you working? And they go, yes. Well, how much an hour do you make? And they say, well, I make this much an hour. I said, okay. So you remember my little spreadsheet. I got much better after I had that spreadsheet and I could look at it and say, okay, okay. If I do what you say and I reduce the cost of this price, I can put it, my percentage of profit or whatever you want to call it or markup on an item, I can put it in a spreadsheet and I can see that at the end of the year, I will make zero dollars. And you are way too complaining and, you know, why would I want to deal with the public? There's a lot of strange people out there and there's a lot of people that like to complain and tell you what to do. I'd just stay home and play with my kids if I was going to make no money. Thank you very much. There's a lot of risk. There's a lot of things that get broken. There's a lot of things that do stuff. And you have to include all of that, hope that it doesn't happen and keep the money in the difference because sooner or later it'll probably happen. And guess what? People don't buy everything you buy, bring in to sell. Um, All of a sudden, some items are obsolete or there's a better item and so that's all gone. One of the painful lessons that i did learn is there's a, often a 15 cent screw that would be missing off the truck the little tiny things the the it was just so interesting the little tiny thing that would stop a several thousand dollar job from getting done and it was basically well can you run that out to me and we did you know develop. Uh, As time went on, the Nextel radio was our great thing, basically a walkie-talkie phone kind of thing, stuff before cell phone for a deal. And, you know, it's important to have a courier that can bring stuff to you when it absolutely needs to happen. But it was also true that buying extra 50, you know, the 15-cent item, not counting them, just literally put them in, in your cost of doing business. Everybody's going to have a hundred of these suckers on the truck. I am not going to ever hear you do not have this screw anymore. In our case, it was crimped ground screws or bond screws or whatever they were. And the idea was, is that, you know, you have to be willing to waste some things. So in other words, did they need a hundred screws? No, they didn't. But that's what we had to have in order for them to have it the one time that they needed it. Things that get forgotten is also the other problem. And you can't change people and can't blame people when they forget something. And I don't know about you, but I still struggle with that when it's in the kitchen or whatever. And for me, bottom line, if I have a service truck that's going, we had a 15, 20-mile radius. So if the truck gets all the way out there and they need to replace, say, the GFCI outlet or the whatever the small item might be, and they didn't restock their truck. Then they got to turn around, drive back into the shop, pick up that item, and then go all the way back out. Now we got a three-hour service call. And if you know, electricians are kind of expensive when they come to the house. But this may surprise you that, you know, I figured out that there was $4,000 worth of parts on every truck. And they jiggle and bang and jump up and down in the truck. And so, you know, they get wet. Um... Sometimes you're replacing that product without it being used or charged out, as we would say, without us making any money. And if a person isn't making you money and they're driving around, that gets very expensive, too. So in order to stay in business, I had to be extremely particular. So one of the things that I did is I didn't let them throw anything out. And they would say I'm pretty... You know, pretty controlling. I would hear that. And I was like, yeah, well, you want to work here. This this is who you got. Um, Because everything they took out went in a box. And then at the end of the week, the box went on my table. And then on Saturday morning, I came in and I checked their parts and materials that they had billed out because they had little slips and they would bill out stuff on the spot. But I would check it against what they really It ended up using, and I would also put it on my inventory list to reorder. Plus, I would fill a box up and then give it back to them on Monday morning, and it would have their name on it, so then they were supposed to put the stuff away. Now, true, you know, after a couple months, I would say, let me see your truck, and there would be a whole bunch of boxes in there where they had never restocked it, and so they couldn't find it exactly. So then I had to change it, so when they came in for lunch or when they were into do whatever chores they had to do in the shop because you want to keep that to a minimum because they're not making any money while they're sitting around in the shop looking for stuff. So I had my hardware staff turn the sign over on the hardware store and all their job was to go out and restock the truck. And so I had to draw up little maps of everything where it was. And that was true even in the store is I did... Um, you know, sit on Excel and make little cubes out of graph paper and make sure that everything had a name and a label. And so I could literally say, you know, go look on the map and see this word and it's so many inches from here and there. And of course, you know, the standard thing about don't move my stuff, that was um pretty amazing over time and I used it most of it with peg hooks and I would use peg hooks and then I would label the hook and so it became really apparent where everything had to go because you had new staff and they might not even know what it was so hopefully you had to use the same label as they used on the product and then you had a hook and it had a little tag and so that was um Partly how we did it. But anyway, it worked really well to have someone else restocking in the truck. I'm not sure why that was. If people didn't, you know, the electricians didn't want to take the time to put things away and they'd rather hunt for them. But it's the same thing whether it was in the building or in the truck. You, It was just, I guess the point I'm trying to make is you can either look at stuff that's not working and have a fit which is okay. go ahead, have your fit, have your feeling. Because it seems so simple and it seems like people are just being, quote, some label, whatever you want to put in there. But the truth is, it isn't working. And if you can just accept that it isn't working and then work with people, with your team, with consultants, with read books, do something to find another way. and that was what I ended up doing. And the thing is, is not everything people told me to do and make changes was helpful. So how do you decide whether it is or not? Well, remember we talked about that bottom line. So you return on investment. So if somebody says, if you go and you Braille, every, you learn Braille, it's going to take you eight months, and then you Braille everything in the house in a certain way, You'll always know what everything is. Well, I don't know about you, but... Right? i got Braille labels on the top of all my spices. I recently started cooking with spices. Well, this is great. I've got two shelves of spices. They're alphabetical. The I also have people that come in and help prepare some of the meals and do some work so I can work and not spend all my time doing housework. And do you think that they put everything back alphabetical? And do you think they leave my Braille labels on there? No, they don't. So... I am reworking that but the deal is is if it's going to take you hours and hours and hours to do that and it might not work then you go why should I start so here's the deal do you have to spend the eight months learning braille well you should because it's good for you and you might use it if you really are going to use it and you have a way to use it those are the big three or four things are you really going to do it if not Maybe you could learn, and my sister Joan was so good about this. She said, well, Deb, you don't need to learn it all right now, and you're probably not going to need it because you can still see to read. So what if you just learn eight letters? Do you think you can handle that? And I'm like, well, yeah. So this is the first step in this hardware thing is simplifying things down to the point that you are able to do things in groups. We call them assemblies. And it was interesting, because if you put it all together, you don't have to know, you know, a whole lot. You, you, you would just have, so for example, if a person is going to install an outlet, they gotta have a box, they gotta have a connector, they gotta have a staple, they have to have a ground screw, they have to have a plate, and they have to have the device. If you put those all in a sack, you can forget about labeling all that stuff, and you can just put the outside of it and say, outlet, standard outlet assembly. And so that would be one example. So let's do a little, um, I've talked enough. You probably have to sleep. So here's the deal. We're going to do an exercise talking about inventory. I've talked a little bit about what we do. So what's in your purse or wallet? So just for a minute. Think about what's in there, and I'm just going to tell you how the exercise works. I was teaching at a class, um, because I did go back to school to learn to teach and do things. So I was teaching on a class on inventory, and I wanted to illustrate the difference between a system that works and one that fails right out of the gate. So here's what I asked them to do. How many of you are willing to make a checklist of everything in your, maybe it's your backpack, maybe it's your wallet, maybe it's your purse, by memory? And so you think about that right now. How many of you are willing to somehow or other either braille a list or uh, write a list or record a list? And some people in this room, I'm sure, in my class, they some thought they knew exactly, others were not sure what was in there. So how about you?
0: You know exactly what's in there? So uh, I, I would, uh, this is Carrie. I know I definitely miss a few things. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then here's the big
1: problem, Carrie. Are you going to go check that checklist every single time to make sure everything's in there when you're running out the door every day? Yeah, no. No, no, nope, none of us are. No, <laughs> so, you can imagine trying to take a hardware store and try to make a list of them in there and tell somebody they're going to check everything off. It didn't work. So here's the thing. How do you know what you've used up or gave away an item? So here's the deal. Do you use up or give away any items? And that some of them really matter. So just think about the things. You got a lot of stuff in your, you know, you got all those things. But if you had to go really, really minimalist, what actually do you have to walk out the door with? And, of course, in these days, it might be an emergency check, a credit card, or a mask. And then how do you know if some item, especially when you're blind, it really gets entertaining in any form of blindness or vision loss. Um, How do you know if it's gone? Did you use it up or is it missing? So that's the major piece. When you think about that, then you can start to begin to build your system, right, for how you're going to deal with this. So, and I I had a note here on my slide to remind myself, I'm smiling because I have a guide dog. So my number one thing is a poop bag. Thank you very much. And one credit card. And I guess my hearing aid batteries. What am I most often missing? And how are we going to change that is always the question. So the truth is, whether it's a high brush door or your own purse or your backpack, nobody really cares what you have in it. Only what you don't. So that's a really interesting concept once you start looking at it from that part. So the game is, just like they said, is to not run out of stuff. So the easiest way to not run out of stuff is not to have anything. Some people try that. They just don't ever carry anything and then they don't have to worry about ever not having anything. Um, but there's some real problems with that. You can't make any money for sure. And if you're in the case of your purse or your wallet or whatever, you're, you're kind of trapped. You can't go buy anything. You can't get on the bus. You can't do what you need to do to be able to make life work. And from the customer standpoint, when you have a hardware store, it goes one extra layer. Customers come shopping because they believe that they can get what they need. They don't feel like they're wasting their time. If you think about it, any store that you go to, if you are pretty sure they don't have what you want, you're not very motivated to go in that store. So we're trying to make our store attractive, and um, they want to. And in many cases, if they can find what they want, if you if you I don't know about you, but I always start snarfling. And in fact, I have one favorite grocery store because I snarfled plenty way back in the beginning. And they did a little survey at the little local grocery store about they were not. Um, moving all the stuff around you know every week everything moves it's somewhere else and I'm like why do you do that we hate that well it's supposed to sell more stuff I said did you ever check and see if that's true and to this day 30 years later pretty much everything stays right where it's supposed to which is just wonderful um and he you know the owner of the store at the time it was pretty funny because he goes you know I did some stuff and I found out that I guess we're a little different here in this small town because people don't buy more when they move things around. So because we're not going to use a checklist, and even I won't check my Braille card. I did learn Braille and um, each and every time. But I might do it for a while. So if I'm trying to solve a problem and I'm always leaving without this item, like the whole purse or the whole something then I might need a checklist for a little while and a little sign. But realize that's only going to work for a few times, and it's only enough until I have a habit made. So I did have some habit things that I had for my employees and myself to make sure that certain things were done. Um, But it was much better, even for people that are sighted, if you don't have to check off a list and go through and check visually for everything. So here's some ideas on how to track stuff. So time. You track from previous purchases how often you buy item. For example, in my house, I know that I need to buy lettuce twice a week because it doesn't keep more than that. It doesn't really matter if I ate it. And in the case of in the shop, I knew that we were, in the beginning, we were in a certain number of houses. I knew that we were... Um, Later, we were doing more rewiring and more industrial work. But I knew there were products that we installed hundreds of every month. So I could go back in last year's purchases, right, all of the purchase orders. And as I told you, I started having someone enter all of that in the computer back when it had to be done by hand. And I could look. I bought 1,000 of this item, 200 of that item, And I could see, was there any tracking by month? Did I buy, did I use up more or less in a given month? And was that reasonable? So that's a time thing. You just know, you know, whatever it might be in your house that happens in certain months. So basically tracking what you're using and knowing how often you need to buy something will allow you to do that sales slipped review. So the other thing I used to do is I do not know what happened when I wasn't in the hardware store. I was out trying to do my electrical work. Um, I wasn't in the hardware store all the time. I had staff. I had, you know, things happening. So I would take my finger and flip through and see what sold. Now that was good when my memory still worked because I could kind of keep track in my head. Some of you can do that. Some of you can't. Some of you are going to actually need to have a, a checkoff list so that people are actually recording what's gone. Positioning, we talked about positioning already, Um, having a pegboard and having a hook with everything on it. I also use bin boxes. So instead of having to say for instance, half inch PVC couplings might be a good example. And we had to have couplings and terminal adapters and 90 degrees for each size. And the question was, are we gonna put them all in the same section by size or by type or by whatever. So what ended up happening is whatever was the easiest for me. So it became really easy for me to have all the couplings in a row because I could just run my hand through the boxes and I had what's called a min-max. So I didn't buy things when they were all gone unless they were like really expensive items. I bought, you know, it said on the card, five, minimum, ten max. So that allowed people to know that when they sold something and they were down to four, they needed to order six because it was supposed to be ten. But they didn't have to reorder until it dropped below five. So maybe you might think about your, um, for example, my thing, the poop bags, um, I have learned that if I jam a whole bunch in a bag and I can make it last a week, that means there's going to be seven or maybe eight or nine or 10, depending on the week. And once a week, then I'm going to reload it. But if I reach in my little sack that has all the little poop bags in it, and there's only like one or two in there, I know, oops, I got to restock it sooner. So it's a case of not waiting to the very last, but waiting, learning what, And, of course, it was hard with the hardware store. I had to do some experimentation because somebody might come in and buy 10 of those couplings. And so then I had to say, no, that's not enough on the max. I'm going to go with 30. And I finally ended up doing 50 on a lot of these small items because I needed to focus on the stuff that mattered, what we talked about before, the stuff that was actually making me money and also making sure a customer could have it. So the odds and ends one-off light bulb or fuses I used to try to keep every last little special item so everybody could have what they wanted but that was really expensive and you had to buy 10 of everything and it just didn't make sense but it took me a long time to be able to say to them hey you know what that you know call me up and I'll order it in for you it'll be in a week because they didn't need it immediately either so you had to train them you know for customers that were frequent flyers you had to train them that hey going to take a week to get that most of us can live with that it was really interesting how people adapted and it also helped me not try to keep track of every last little thing whiteboards and buckets so we had a whiteboard for stuff that was gone many of you probably have that in your kitchen or something but we also had a bucket um, where buckets work both ways so if you use it up uh, certain items You had to take the, basically they were cardboard discs out of the bucket and put them in this particular bag or do something. And so it was a signal to me that when the bucket was empty, I better go figure out um, what was needed because that let them know that there was going to be a problem. The assigned spot check. So I'm going to give you an example from my purse right now. I struggle, you know, this is many years later and I'm not, you know, I'm older and I got some brain things. And so I found that I was leaving excuse my puppy. Um, I was leaving my change purse open or leaving my credit card on the counter or something. And it just wasn't working. Or when I pulled out my credit card, money would come with it. And so whatever I was doing wasn't working. And I had the fancy little wallets with all the slots and I had all that stuff. So what I switched to was, and I experimented quite a little bit to get to this. So um, there's a brand of purse that comes with lanyards on it. So it has like a little leash, kind of leash it's probably a foot long. And it has a, uh, there's a change purse with a zipper on the top that it has a clear pouch on the outside. So my bus pass goes in there and it velcroed shut. It didn't come velcro shut because mine sometimes would be upside down and it would fall out. So, I've made, I put little dots, those Velcro dots, to make it shut so it can't fall out. And then I have the zipper part, and it has one credit card in it, only a few dollar bills, like you would need for bus fare or tips when you're traveling or whatever. And that's it. So, and it's tied to my purse. So, if I do the magic, leave something behind, the lanyard swings and whacks me in the knee. And I go, okay, that's what I call my reminder. And I had to build those in in the hardware store and all my businesses, you know, because when that thing swings, you go, oh, wait. You know, the oh, wait, uh oh, oh, wait. Um, so that means, you know, I didn't zip it shot, So that probably means I didn't pick the card back up. So by putting that, having it on the lanyard. And then on the rare occasion, I do have it all zipped up and it's all fine. It just didn't get put back in or I don't know why it just does that I don't leave things behind because they're tied to me and if you've met me you'll see I have a lanyard on my cell phone as well now all of you don't need that level of stuff because you can remember things better than I can but I just know that the less I have to remember the less I have to track the happier I am as a blind person The more that I can make my situation so that any sighted person can be clear about where things are supposed to go and what's supposed to be in there, then they're more likely to put things back where they're supposed to be. Um, And I don't know about you, but I learned, you know, I try to remember that if you give them a credit card when you're shopping somewhere, we'll talk a little bit about how I collected money, and you keep your hand out, it's not all but it's pretty hard for them to lay it on the counter. They'll give it back to you in your hand. Not always, but you would hope so. So what could you do for you for an assigned spot check? I mean, if you wanna make sure you have those three things you need when you go out the door, it's really easy to reach in a pocket and feel, do you have a bag? Do you have your credit card? Do you have here? and aid batteries in my case? Um, but, I have to admit that I have a set time in my calendar and my phone that says, because we didn't have iPhones then either. That would have been really cool. It says, go check hearing aid batteries in your purse once a month, because I know now that a package will last once a month or longer, depending on whether they, you know. I also changed it to, I change my hearing aid batteries every Sunday at noon, or thereabouts, sometime in the middle of the day, whether they need to be changed or not. And that's really hard because they might last one more day or maybe even two more days, and we all have to think about we can't waste and we can't do it. But the trouble is, it, it wouldn't be good if it went down in the middle of this presentation, right? Then I don't know when it's going to happen. So making a set time, that, and that was something that we just had to do. For me, that was Saturday morning. I would walk through the whole shop and I would shake all the bin boxes and listen for the ones that were stick my hand in them and see which ones were down. In other words, not probably full. Then I would look at them. And I could do it. I got it so that I could do let's see, we had one, we had five shelves on each wall and each thing. And we had one, two, three, four, five, six shelves in the front. And then we had another whole room in the back. So I would say that I could do it all in about 25 minutes. And that was how I made sure that my tracking was working and things were happening. So what will you do to track stuff in your wallet? That's always the hard part because we have to take the time to do the thinking. All right, we talked about all of that on my sling. All right, so I want to, I'm going to stop here in a second because I got to check my time. It's always a, yeah, and I can see that I need to stop and ask questions. So I'm going to skip to the um, ROI, uh, the summary. So basically philosophies, if you feel you're not being safe, if you feel like it's too hard, that's when you need to stop and take a look and see if you can make something better, change it. Um, if, if you find yourself mad, pay attention. Don't ignore it. Stay with it. Stay in the present. You don't need to know what the future is going to be. Yes, your vision is probably changing, and no, that might not work two years from now. Fine and dandy. Tell whoever it is that says you've got to get ready for the future that you will do it when the time comes. I spent so much time getting ready for the time I wouldn't be able to read. And here it is, 30 years later and three businesses later, and I can still read on a good day. I'm I'm losing that. And yes, I learned my Braille. So I'm not saying I didn't prepare, but changing the entire building and brailing everything when I didn't need it and they didn't need it really didn't pay sense. Um, Getting the best CTTV if you can use it. I didn't need it to see, but I needed it for contract and to be able to read quickly. So mine couldn't swim. It couldn't be the bargain variety. It had to be the best of the best. And it's hard when you're buying your own equipment, when you're in business for yourself. You have to buy your own equipment and you do your own accommodations. If you're sick, you pay your own sick pay. All of that has to be built in how much you charge for what you do. You must charge enough. If you're not charging enough to make it worth your while and for you to have the best in computers and CTTV, then maybe you'd be better off getting a job and letting somebody else worry about all that stuff. Um, it's got to make you money, and it's got to be a little bit fun at least part of the time. And the whole thing about poor customer service and excuses will not pay in the long run. Got to make it so it works for the customer as well. And I think organizational. We did all that. Hey, I did okay. I didn't have to read all my slides, which is good. Um, Minimize. Oh, the only thing I do want to say is the fire lane. I, I could not safely walk through. I couldn't use my cane because blind people don't want to hire a blind electrician i just couldn't get them to associate the fact that i could still see color and see everything i only needed the stick so i didn't fall through a hole because i have narrow view and i would explain it but basically the customers all went away so we used radios we used um okay in fact my apprentices i knew it wasn't safe for me to move around so i had my next towel. i i did all the work at the panels and in the place i didn't move around when i wanted to move i'd beep them and they'd have to come get me and then i'd follow them to get through the construction site. But I did finally give that up. It was too scary. Um, but UPS and whoever delivered, I mean, I used a lot of delivery services. They would come in and drop stuff. In a hardware store, you've got tons of boxes and things coming and tons of things going out the door and everybody's leaving it wherever the heck they wanted to. Well, that had to change. And what my blessing hope was, I had gone to um, teach at the high school. I was trying to figure out what I was going to be next when I was, doing that. And they had what they call a fire lane in the, um, I was out in the construction area where they did the welding and all that out in the shop area. And they had a fire lane. And I'm telling you what, there were two striped lines. And if anybody or anything stopped in that lane, somebody would yell at them. There was everybody's job to make sure that lane was clear. So that's exactly what I did. I took yellow tape and I taped out a lane through the shop through the back door, through to each shelf, and it was a very simple, single lane, and nobody but nobody dared to stop or put something down between those two lines, and it was so important because I just got, you know, obviously I got hurt a few times before I decided to get that way, but it was really interesting, Um, you know, people, you could tell people getting, so they're like putting the thing on the tape, So that was always the thing about needing to be sure that you really are the boss. You really do insist on using and being, um, I don't want to say bossy or mean or anything, but you know what you need and you insist on getting what you need and you, you will know why you don't get what you need. And I know that sounds pretty harsh, and it's really hard to do, and you have to be kind because otherwise everybody will quit. And so I learned some of those things, too. Um, but it's just super important to build a network, to have a teamwork. Um, to I did a lot of volunteer stuff. I did a lot of um, – I, I hired moms finally at the end because I had more need for child care than I did for anything else. And so, you know, I had to have an automatic popcorn microwave because they were forever turning the microwave and setting it on fire and so there were things I had to do to make it work for all of us and so they got to bring their kids to work with them and you know it was just interesting how it all worked out and it was really amazing and I did make money and I do thank you for listening so I'm going to stop sharing and we just have a few minutes for questions,
2: not very many. Okay, so
0: we have about five minutes for questions, and then Carrie will need to do some of her closing announcements, but we have Jewel has her hand up, and she's had it up for a while. So go ahead, Jewel. Hi, can you hear me? Yes.
2: Hi, uh, thank you for this presentation. You had some really good information in coding like the max and not keeping things and stuff that you don't need right then, you know. Um, I wanted to ask, how have you worked with suppliers? Because obviously you have to work with the people who manufacture the stuff to know what sales the quickest, you know, um, what you need to keep in stock because it's going to be run out fast if they don't have it and all that stuff. So working with suppliers,
1: you know, you bring up a very valid point that I didn't get into. and. The networking piece, um, it's really interesting. If you allow a supplier to make money and you are loyal, for some of them, that's enough so that they'll work with you and tell you what you need to know. I was thinking about this with this COVID stuff and all the other and the supply line thing. Um, It reminds me of some of my craziness um, of trying to get, I mean, because it was true. And, you know, so I guess it's... uh, you can't have it all. You can't have the best service and the lowest price. So accepting the fact that they need to make money, um, finding out how they want their orders keyed in or given to them in a way that works the best, giving to, asking them what kind of lead time. Um, you know. But you're absolutely right. You have nothing to sell if you can't work those things through. You, I also was very diversified. While I was loyal to my main suppliers... I looked high and low for alternative sources for those moments that I needed.
0: There are no more hands at the moment.
1: And I will add that if I had consistent problems with a supplier delivering things I didn't ask for or not delivering things that I asked for. And I think I'm still, I guess I hadn't thought about it, but um, for example, I don't tell a name because it was probably a local issue, but there's one grocery delivery service that either always suddenly decides they can't actually deliver the groceries after they said they were coming or else everything's thought out or else it's this or that. And, you know, I gave them three or four tries. I mean, I had probably 12 deliveries and, Four out of the 12 were a total disaster. They don't get my business anymore. And that's just how it goes. And sometimes I miss what I can't do. But that's where I say, okay, we don't get delivery for them. But if we want the product, I guess we'll send somebody over there to pick it up. And so sometimes I had to do that with my suppliers as well. There were some people I didn't trust their delivery. I had to actually know if they had it or not.
0: And, you know, Deb, I think that's one of the big things um, working in anything is that networking piece and finding out who you can trust to, you know, get products or services or whatever. It doesn't matter what business you're in to make sure and, and working together so that that building that rapport and that relationship, because, you know, there are times that may, you know, maybe you need something, a, a quick ship. And, you know, if you have a real good rapport with a supplier, they may ship it a little quicker than they would if you didn't have that good rapport. So, yeah. Yeah,
1: so true.
0: All right. Well, there's no other hands raised, Teresa? Nope. All right. Oh, wait. hot. Just as we said that oh, then somebody yep. raised their hand. Jules. <laughs> Jewel, Jewel again. All right, Jules. Joel, did you have another question?
2: She's muted. If I can okay. unmute. There we, well, there we Yay. go. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just wanted to ask if she if you would be willing to give your information, your contact information out um, yes. Or if I should reach out to Cindy, I would love to talk to you. I'm starting a crafting business, and a lot of that is very similar to a hardware store. You have a lot right. of small parts, like buckles and rings and cord and all those things. Right. So and I'd love you. to chat with you further.
1: I meant to do that. So I my current website and current business name is Adaptability for Life. So my email is deb at Adaptability for life, and it's spelled out um, – F-O-R-L-I-F-E dot com. My website, um, you can also, there's contact page on there and there's links on there. So you can easily get a hold of me. And I would love to do that. I do um, at least, you know, what I typically do for people is a consultation is free for 15 minutes or so. And then we can figure out if there's something more that I could do for you. We could figure out how that would, what that would look like. Um, But yeah, that would be fun. I enjoy helping people get their feet under their ground because, you know, self-employment and like you said, craft, there's just so many little different parts and pieces and there's a lot of fun ways to keep track of them all. So yeah, that'd be great. Thank you for the...
0: Great. Thanks, Deb. And in just a minute, I will give Whole Foundation's contact info. So that's another way if you didn't, weren't able to get down her contact info, um, you can get a hold of whole foundation and learning center. So um, we would like to thank all of our contributors and members of the whole foundation and learning center, because without their financial support, we wouldn't be able to do things like this workshop. Um, we still have two more zoom classes. Not all are on the ACB community call. So if you contact the office, you can get on their list This is Pacific time today at 1 p.m. Pacific time. We have traveling within your local area. And at 7 p.m. Pacific tonight, which is on the ACB Community Call, we have the art and science of riding an elephant with Peter Alchul, who um, he was recently on Tuesday Topics with ACB and people had more questions. So he's going to be our guest this evening. So hopefully you'll be able to join us. And we do have a couple upcoming in-person groups going on. We have the Spring Fling is April 5th to the 8th. And there's a Living with Sight Loss Seminar, April 20th to the 22nd. And that one's actually instructional. You learn a little bit of, you know, all kinds of these blind skills, a lot that Deb was talking about, with a certified orientation mobility and Instructor is in that, and it's a great way to get to know people and get some of those skills. And the, the park does make travel arrangements between the airport and the train and bus stations out to the park. It's beautiful, 23 acres just outside of Portland, Oregon. And they do have some financial aid scholarships available. Um, and there's a lot of different in-person getaways, retreats, different events all throughout the year. And if you want to get on our email list, you can dial 503-668-6195. Again, 503-668-6195. You could send an email to oralhole at gmail.com. That is O-R-A-L-H-U-L-L at gmail.com. Oral Hull is the lady who donated the acreage to form the foundation. And you can also look find us on the web at www.wholeparkfortheblind.org. That's H-U-L-L park for F-O-R the blind dot org. And we ended with a joke and a quote. What did the courageous dog do? It embarked on a journey (laughs) Okay, I thought that was kind of funny. (laughs) Okay. Let's see. Being brave means knowing that when you fail, you do not fail forever. And that was by Lana Del Rey. And I really like that quote. um, You know, you don't fail forever. You always learn. If If you fail at something, you're learning and making those changes. A lot like Deb was talking about in her workshop today, you know, you go through and you have things and then you're going to refigure and adapt and change it. So it works better next time. So thank you everybody for joining us today and we look forward to you